Good morning, Emmanuel. If you have your Bibles, you can open to the book of 2 Timothy. And as you guys are turning there, we'll be in chapter 1. Uh, Ryan, Pastor Ryan and I had the pleasure of going to a preaching workshop this last week. Uh, it was a workshop for, uh, for, for pastors, any, anybody who's really laboring in the ministry of the Word. And, um, and so we, in this workshop, we walked through the book of 2 Timothy. Uh, we had to create sermons that were then critiqued by other pastors, and we just really worked on the craft of preaching. How do you study the Word, examine the Word, and create a sermon? And so in many ways, uh, this, not in many ways, this, this sermon today will be the fruit of some of the labors of this workshop. I, I want to open that way because if you know anything about 2 Timothy, you know that 2 Timothy is a book written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy, who was a pastor. And I'm going to have a particular way in which I'm going to apply this passage today. And, and here, here's my aim. I want to convince you to be more intentional to pray for your pastors. Now, it makes me nervous to say that for a couple of reasons. One, because you may hear that and be like, oh, like, what, what's his angle? You know, is, is what, what's he doing, you know, trying to garner prayer for the pastors? And is, is there an agenda here? And the answer to that is no. You may also hear that and be like, man, you know what, Evan, I'm really struggling. It's been a hard week and I need something besides pray for your pastors. And I'm aware of that. Um, but I, I trust that this will encourage you well, and I'll explain that in a minute. I am convinced, for at least two reasons, that we, you, should be more intentional to pray for your pastors. But what I'm not saying is that you don't pray for your pastors. I have been to many of your houses and seen our names on your walls, I've, I've even heard, had brothers and sisters repent of not praying for their pastors. And so I, I'm not here to beat you up and say, you got it, you're not doing this, do it better. I'm here simply to remind you to keep doing so more and more. I also want to preach this sermon because a lot of you, as I look around, are new. And, and you may be a young believer, or maybe you come from a tradition where, where you, you maybe don't understand quite the importance of the pastor, or praying for a pastor, or you haven't had good pastors, and so I, I want this to be a time to equip you. But, but here are the two reasons I want to argue that you should pray for your pastors. First reason, because it's in the Bible. Paul has given us three pastoral epistles written to pastors, and those are meant to be taught to the people of God. And so if we as pastors would be faithful to teach you the whole counsel of God, we, we must step into this awkward place where we're preaching to you so that you can be un, un, more understood and equipped to understand, hold accountable, and pray for your pastors. The second reason I'm convinced that it is helpful to pray for this, for, uh, to, to preach this passage to you guys is because in 1 Timothy, Paul says to pastors, keep a close eye on your life and doctrine. Persist in this, for by doing so, you might save both yourself and your hearers. So what that tells me is that if as pastors, we go off the rails and our life 
and our doctrine, you will be the ones who will suffer. And so it is in your best interest to have holy, godly, faithful pastors who every time they open up God's word, they point you to Christ and his gospel, and, and they rightly divide the word. It is in your best interest that we would be those type of men. So let's just take an experience. Raise your hand. This could be dangerous, but I, I think it'll go well. If you have been encouraged by the word ministry of one of your pastors. All right, put your hands down. Raise your hand if you want to continue to be encouraged by the word ministry of your pastors. <laughs> well, then you should pray for your pastors. And so let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 12, but we're going to focus primarily on verses 8 through 12. This is Paul writing to Timothy. Paul is in jail. This is his last hurrah. He, he's going to be uh, killed soon for his faith. The emperor Nero is persecuting the churches. He's using Christians to light his garden at night because they're on fire. The church is being infiltrated by false teachers from within and without. And so this is Paul's letter, his last letter to Timothy, the one who he spent so much time pouring into and loving. And this is what he has to say. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Let's pray. Father, I do come to you, and I pray that you would bless the preaching of your word. Not because it comes out of my mouth, but because it is your word. And your word is profitable for building up your saints, for teaching and training in righteousness, and so I pray that you would use this sermon to grow our people to love your word, to obey every part of your word, to pray for their pastors, that we might be honorable vessels, useful to the master of the house, 
that we might be laboring faithfully to build this body up into mature manhood, into the fullness and stature of Christ. And so, God, would you fill me with your spirit? Would you remove any temptation towards fear? And would you help me to flat-footedly, boldly proclaim your word in a way that is winsome, that is clear, and that brings you all glory? In Jesus' name, amen. If you were looking for a sermon title, the sermon title is simple, and you'll hear these words many times in this sermon. Pray that we, that is your pastors, would shamelessly suffer for the gospel. Pray that we, that is your pastors, would shamelessly suffer for the gospel. Now, disclaimer, as I'm preaching this, am I saying that you can't pray for other people? There are many people within this church that minister the Word. There are Sunday school teachers, even now teaching little ones, that minister the Word. Patty spends much time, if you've ever had counseling with her, she's going to open her Bible and minister the Word. Discipleship class teachers are ministering the Word. And so by no means am I saying that you should not pray for them. But for the sake of this passage, I just want to keep it narrow and then as the Spirit leads you to play, pray for the people that speak the word into your lives, do so more and more. As we look at this passage, I have one main goal, and that is to convince you to prioritize praying for your pastors. And I, I want to preach this to you the way that Timothy would have received it from the Apostle Paul. And so as I preach it, I hope that you will begin to understand the high calling and the pressure that pastors specifically face, and that you would commit yourself to praying for us. The context, I want to get a running start of 2 Timothy. As we pick up in verse 8, verses 1 through 7 looks a little bit like this. Paul opens up his letter. He defends his apostleship in verse 1. He wants to make it clear that he's an apostle. He has the authority to pin the words that he is pinning. And so he, he says, I'm a, I, I am an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of life. He's an apostle to proclaim a message, and within that message comes the promise of life. He then, get, then goes on to begin to address Timothy as his true child. And you can see this father-son relationship as Father, fa, uh, Paul, said, father Paul says things like, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. I remember your tears, Timothy. I remember even your grandmother and your mother and their sweet and sincere faith. And I know that you share the same faith that they shared. He then goes on to say, because you have this faith and because you have a ministry, a ministry by the laying on of his hands, Paul says, I want to encourage you to fan in the flame the gift of God. In other words, Timothy, keep on preaching. Keep on exercising the ministry that you have received. And then he clarifies, there will be temptations to fear, but God has not given you a spirit of fear, but one of power and of love and of self-control. Timothy can exercise that ministry because he has a spirit of power, and of love, and of self-control. And then we pick up in the passage in the verses that I want to, to, to focus on. 
And I want, I want to give you three uh, applic- simple applications that are three points that come from this text. The first one is that Paul exhorts Timothy to shamelessly suffer in verse 8. Paul exhorts Timothy to shamelessly suffer in verse 8. The second point I want you to see in verses 9 and 10 is that Paul encourages Timothy with how to shamelessly suffer. He's, he's going to give them this blueprint. Timothy, how do you shamelessly suffer? We're going to see that in verses 10 and 8, 10, uh, 9 and 10. And then lastly, in verses 11 and 12, we'll see that Paul's life exemplifies shameless suffering. He's going to exhort Timothy to shamelessly suffer. He's going to encourage Timothy with how he should shamelessly suffer. And then he's going to show how his life exemplifies shameless suffering. Let's look at verse 8. Paul says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. This word, therefore, is drawing an inference from something that Paul has just said. Paul has just encouraged Timothy to fan into flame his preaching and teaching ministry. And then he says, therefore, because I want you to do this, I want you to fan it into flame, I want you to do these two other things. And these two other things are not be ashamed of Christ Jesus or of Paul, who's in prison, for the gospel, but also to share in suffering. And so what we see here as Paul is commanding Timothy is the first thing is that, Timothy, you will be tempted to shrink back and shave off the edges of the gospel. And if you've been around any type of Christian circles, you know that this is a common problem. There are pastors like Joel Osteen who preaches health, wealth, and prosperity. It's not hard to preach a gospel when all God wants to do is bless you and he loves you and everything is going to be great in your life both now and forever. That's easy to preach. Everybody wants to hear that. He'll give you a new car. He'll he'll make you healthy. It's, It's not hard to water down the gospel because you're ashamed to say the hard truth. And so instead of saying hard truth, you just preach to make everybody happy. There are other guys, other pastors like Rob Bell. Love wins. I want to preach the gospel, but if I'm going to preach the gospel, i got to talk about hell, and nobody really wants to hear about hell, so therefore, love wins. You don't have to worry about hell. Everybody gets to go to heaven. Everybody gets to go be happy. There is no punishment for sin. We're just going to chop that off because nobody wants to hear about that stuff. If you've ever had to share your faith, and look someone in the eye and confront them in their sin, you know the temptation to shrink back from saying something hard, to shrink back from the glories of Christ. Or maybe in our society, people laugh at you. Oh, you believe in a guy who did lots of miracles and raised from the dead, and like he he was man, but, but he died, and like, come on, that's foolishness. Paul says, Timothy, if you would be faithful in your preaching ministry, you must not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. You must not be ashamed of the gospel. You must faithfully preach it 
in all of its, in all of the hard parts and all of the glorious parts, because that is the only way that people can find life. Timothy, do not be ashamed of the gospel. But then he also says, and Timothy, do not be ashamed of me, his prisoner. I mean, imagine this. Imagine here Timothy is, this young man. He's, he spent his whole life learning from Paul, uh, growing from him, doing all of these things, and now he can sense it. In fact, Paul ends the letter saying, I've finished my race. I'm, I'm about to go and be in glory. And so Timothy knows that Paul is about to be killed, about to be martyred. You have an emperor that's breathing down your throat, and you're about to be all alone. You can imagine how he'd be tempted, he would be tempted to pull back. Oh, Paul, you know, I mean, that's a guy, but you know, no, 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 Paul is my, my, my father figure. He's my brother. Don't be ashamed. Beloved, just to, 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 to bring this home, Pastor Ryan has astutely pointed this out, that the United States is usually five to ten years behind Canada on various trends. In another five to ten years, we could very well be in a situation like this where a preacher is standing up to preach and those doors open and the preacher's taken to jail because of the very truths that he preaches. In that moment, Paul says, Timothy, don't be ashamed of my chains. I'm suffering because I've been faithful to the cross. And you don't need to be ashamed of that reality. And so we see here that Paul is saying, Timothy, if you're going to fulfill your ministry, you must not be ashamed. But he continues. Look at the second half of verse 8. He says, but share in suffering for the gospel. Share in suffering for the gospel. In other words, this is true of every Christian, but it's particularly true of pastors. If you would be faithful to your ministry, you must not be ashamed to suffer. If you would be faithful in your ministry, it's not a matter of if you will suffer, it's when you will suffer and how you will suffer. And so, beloved, as you think about your pastors... Think about those who, to be a pastor, according to this text, is to be one who will suffer. And, and I, I want to walk this out and talk a little bit more about suffering because oftentimes we think that suffering only means persecution and death. It absolutely means persecution and death. There are pastors in Canada who are being persecuted. There are pastors in China who are being hauled off to jail left and right. There are pastors in places like the Middle East who are being killed. And so suffering does involve persecution and death. But if you were to continue to read 2 Timothy, you would see that pastor, uh, suffering also involves other things. For instance, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, pastoring or suffering involves sacrifice. 
Paul gives these three images of the soldier, of the, the farmer, and of the athlete. And the implication of there is that the soldier must exercise self-control. He cannot get involved in civilian pursuits. There are things that the soldier just can't do because if he's off at the movies, when the enemies attack, the people don't get protected. The athlete, if the athlete is going to win the crown and be the best, they must give up things. They, they must regiment how they eat. They must regiment how they sleep. They will spend much of their time honing their craft. The farmer works sun up to sundown, sowing the seed so that a crop can be reached. So what it means for Timothy to be faithful, for pastors to be faithful, is they must always make sacrifices. Those sacrifices are joyful, but they're real. Real sacrifices that must be made to care for God's people. To, I, I remember as a young man, Ryan told me something that has stuck with me to this day. He said, Evan, don't ever be ashamed of not going to summon events because you're spending time in your word. And that has helped me even as a single man, when I'm like, I'm frustrated in my room, God, why can't I just go and watch, have a Marvy Movil marathon, you know, like everybody else is doing? Why? Because if I'm spending all my time watching Marvel movies, I'm not spending all my time in God's Word. And when one of you comes to me and you need help, you need a word from the Lord, I have nothing to give you because all I can think about is Iron Man and the Incredible Hulk. There's a sacrifice involved. Pastoring also involves loneliness. If you keep reading 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 10 and 16, Paul talks about as he's laboring in ministry, other Christians abandon him. When the suffering comes, other Christians disappear. And there's a loneliness that comes with bearing the weight of so many things and you can't even share it with everybody. You can't even fully share your whole heart because there's just so much on your heart. And you may be tempted as you're sitting there to say, well, yeah, I, I struggle with loneliness. I, I know you do. I know many of you. Many of you have lost loved ones as they have moved on to other places. Brothers and sisters that are coming back from the mission field and don't feel like people really understand their struggles. We all struggle with loneliness. I, I get that. But I think there's a particular loneliness that's felt in ministry, that's heightened by ministry. Opposition. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, and, and chapter 4, verse 3. There's opposition who hate the things that people say outside of the church, and there's just dealing with the pressure of, I preach that sermon, and I get an email. And that's not wrong. I'm thankful that we get emails when we preach sermons. But it doesn't make it easy either. It doesn't make it easy to, to humbly walk into those conversations and receive criticism or feedback. And, and we want to receive it well and honor the Lord from brothers and sisters because they sharpen us. But, but, but nobody walks into one of those meetings like with joy. You know, hey, this is going to be great. Like, I'm, people are going to tell me what I did wrong, how I preached that, how I offended them. Praise the Lord. Let's sign me up. Nobody does that. It's tough. And that's just inside. On the outside, 
You may get blogs written about you and articles written about you. People may go public. And so the, the, pre, the, wesher, the pressure and the weight of opposition is enough to make pastors stop preaching the gospel. It is enough to make men stop saying hard truth. Because if I stop saying hard truth, I won't get any emails, and I certainly won't get any blog posts. So Paul's saying, Timothy, if you're going to fan into flame your ministry, if you're going to finish well, you must embrace the suffering that comes with being a pastor. Last type of suffering. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4. And honestly, it's, it's one of the hardest ones of my heart. And I'm going to cry as I say it. It's our people turning away from the truth. Not only those who walk away from the faith, but those who reject the word and plunge themselves into sin. Beloved, it is hard. You, you may know one or two people who are struggling. As their pastors, we know most of the people and how they're struggling. And so to, to see people that you love and that you invest in pain themselves in sin because they reject the truth is heartbreaking. And it is only the grace of God, by the Spirit of God, that helps you get back into the game and keep speaking the same truth over and over and over again. Beloved, we, we love you. And it breaks our hearts every time we see you stray away from the truth. And that is a suffering that, that would lead Timothy to say, you know what, I'm not going to be a pastor anymore. I can't take that burden. I can't have it on my mind, on my heart. So the reason why Paul is exhorting Timothy to share suffering is because if he's not willing to suffer for that ministry, for the gospel, he will give up that ministry and potentially the gospel. And so you see Paul's pastoral heart. He's been in the fight. He knows the fight. He's saying, Timothy, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord and of me as prisoner. And you must embrace suffering if you would be faithful to this ministry. Paul exhorts Timothy to shamelessly suffer. Second thing we see. Paul encourages Timothy with how to shamelessly suffer. In verses 9 through 10. I can't even see what I'm reading. It says, Therefore do not be ashamed of, me, his, of, of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And then in these verses, he just launches into this glorious presentation of the gospel. Timothy, how will you endure suffering? You must keep believing the gospel. And as any good pastor does, Paul just launches into the gospel. Look at what he says. Timothy, you can shamelessly suffer because God has saved you and called you to this. God has done a work in you, Timothy. 
God has called you to this ministry, Timothy. And let's get it clear, Timothy. God didn't call you because you were awesome. What does it say? It is not because of works, but because God's own purpose and grace. What an amazing reality that before there was any of this, God was in eternity with his heart and his mind on those whom he redeemed, saving them and uniting them to his son who would later on come and live and die and rise for them. And so to know that you have been eternally loved by an eternal God who has always had his eye on you is such an encouraging reality as you are in the winds and the waves of life. The true reality of every believer in here is that God knew you before you were born. He chose you before you had done anything right or wrong. And, and the reason why you are a Christian is because of his own purposes and grace. God knew every mistake you would make, every sin you would commit at the beginning. And he says, I want that one. And, 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 give, me, and give me that one. And give me, give, me, give me that one back there. And oh yeah, you, you're a mess. Give me you, give me you. I want you. Because I want to teach you all about grace. You don't do anything to deserve it. You've done everything not to deserve it. But I'm still going to bring you in. And I think what Paul is saying here is that's even true about those that God brings into the ministry. We're not, we're not any better. We sin just like everyone else. And, and yes, we have to meet qualifications. And yes, we have to be voted on. But how do we meet those qualifications? How do we uh, uh, garner confidence in your eyes? It's the same grace that saves. Any man who stands as your pastor is just a, is, is a trophy of God's grace. And we are what we are by the grace of God. And that is an incredible encouragement should be to you because the same grace that makes people pastors is the same grace that saves them and the same grace that people who never become pastors is that grace that helps them to live holy and godly lives. It is all of God's grace. And so Paul's saying, Timothy, you're going to be tempted to scare. Can you do it? No, Timothy, you can't do it on your own. But you've been called. You've been saved, and you've been given grace. And God is going to use you according to his purposes. But he continues. Look at the latter half of it, right? God has saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. You had all this before you were even born, before the ages began. But then look at verse 10. And now which has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. Christ comes. And when Christ comes, he appears, he's born. What does he do? First thing it says that he does is that he abolished death. Beloved, this is one of the sweetest realities of, of our faith, and it is that death has been 
abolished. Well, Evan, what, what do you mean? What are you talking about? The, the, the idea here when it says death has been abolished, it means, it means death has been rendered inoperable. It, it, has, it has no effect, it has no threat, it has no sting. And so in other words, what Paul is saying to Timothy is that when Christ came and did what he did and he secured your salvation, you can minister the gospel faithfully without the fear of death because death is no longer a threat to you. The one that you proclaim is the one that frees you from the threat of death. What a gracious reality to remember that we can stand firm in this gospel no matter what may come because the worst that may come is that we get killed and if we get killed, we get to go and be with Jesus for all of eternity. That is a truth that will put steel in your spine. That is a truth that will encourage you to be bold in preaching the gospel even when you're tempted to be fearful. And so Paul is saying, Timothy, don't worry, what, what can they do? The only thing they can do is Jesus has already taken care of that. It's, it's already done. You, you can't die. As soon as you die, you'll be with Jesus. You'll be okay. Go preach the gospel. But it also shows us, says, says Christ has brought light, life, and immortality to light in the gospel. What does that mean? It means that as you hear and embrace God's gospel, your eyes begin to be illumined. You begin to understand what spiritual life really is. Jesus said, I came to bring you life and more abundantly. And so as you look to the bringer of life, your soul is nourished and you begin to have spiritual life in you, it's, 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 it's been brought into the light. It's tangible. You can feel it. You can, you can enjoy it. It's, it's, it's been manifested. And you have eternal life. You, you are immortal. When Christ comes, when he did what he did, this is the gift that he has given us. He's abolished death. And in death's place, he's brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Beloved, this is why, this is why it is so important that your pastors always preach to you the gospel, that you constantly are looking to the gospel, that you are delighting in the gospel because there is no other way, there is no other cure for the fear of death than in the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I want to pause here and just say a word to unbelievers. If you're not a Christian in here today, if what I'm saying is true, and it is, if Christ really is the one who abolished death and you have not trusted in Christ, then your only hope you have no hope. The only thing that awaits you is death and eternal torment. And so can I encourage you to look to this Jesus who brings life and immortality? Can I encourage you, if you, maybe you're bouncing around churches and you, and you have this guy, you listen to the TV and you listen to this, can I encourage you to plant yourself in a place where you regularly hear 
the gospel of Jesus Christ preach. Because that is your only hope on this earth is that you would hear and embrace and trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're a little one, a kid, listen to me. When mommy and daddy tell you about Jesus, he is your hope. There is no hope apart from the Jesus that you hear about from your parents, that you hear about when you're in your, your, your classrooms. Trust in this Jesus so that you might have life and immortality. There is no other way. Lastly, Paul has just encouraged Timothy that he can shamelessly suffer through the gospel. And now in verses 11 through 12, Paul uses his own life to, uh, to bolster everything he's just said. Timothy can shamelessly suffer for the gospel because Paul has exemplified shamelessly suffering. Notice what Paul says in verse 11. As, uh, he's just said, for which I was, so there's this gospel for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher. And notice he lists all of those things, not so he can humble brag, because he's filled with joy. He's like, man, I get to be an apostle. I get to be a preacher of this gospel. I get to get to be a teacher of this gospel. He's filled with joy as he declares his titles. And then he says, on account of which, which is why I suffer as I do. So Timothy, don't be ashamed. Share in suffering. Timothy, you can see them in this dialogue. Well, I don't, I don't know, Paul. Like, ah, help me out. Timothy, have I not suffered for the gospel? Do, do you not see me an example of what it looks like to joyfully suffer for the gospel? This has been my life, Timothy. You, you've seen my life. You know my life, how I have suffered for the gospel. But then he continues. But I'm not ashamed. In the midst of all my suffering, as I write this in a jail cell, staring death in the face, I'm not ashamed. What, Paul? You're not ashamed? Why, why are you not ashamed, Paul? Because I know in whom I have believed. Beloved, the culmination of your understanding of the gospel isn't the perfection by which you can articulate it. It's, it's the degree to which your soul believes it and clings to it. And in a context like this, where there are so many people with a seminary background and we, we, we want to understand the gospel rightly, but your ability to articulate the gospel and the, just, and the, the uh, substitutionary atonement of Christ, and that is great. Praise the Lord. We want all of those categories. But don't have a fat head who can perfectly articulate the gospel and a cowardly heart that will run from it as soon as the suffering starts. If, if you're studying to be a pastor, if you're studying to be someone who, who ministers the word, Read the parts of your Bible that talk about suffering. If you're going to go to the mission field, talk to some of our missionaries to he hear how they have suffered. If you'd like to sit down and understand some of the hardships, come talk to some of us pastors and we can tell you about how you must be prepared to suffer. Not in a glib, gloomy type of way, 
but is the real reality. I'll give you this analogy, and then I'm going to shut up and sit down here in a second. I don't know this for myself, but uh, as I've talked to many of you parents, I kind of get this thing where it's like, you know, you, you're, 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 you just get married, you have this grand vision, I want to have kids. And then you get one, and you can't sleep, and they, they start getting older, and they disobey you, and you realize having kids is great, but it's also incredibly hard. And, and before, you maybe didn't know that, that it was incredibly hard. You just thought it was great. It, oh, it's going to be great. We're going to have 17 of them, and we're going to fill our house, and then you get number two, and you're like, what have we done? <laughs> going into pastoral ministry is just like that. It will be great. It is amazing. And then you get in there and you realize, this is a lot harder than I thought it was. And every day you have to choose to follow Jesus and be faithful to your calling. And so if you're studying for that, understand what you're walking into. There's a reason why, what is it, 50% of pastors quit in their first two years? There's a reason why that happens. Paul knows in whom he has believed, and he knows that Christ is able to keep him and his gospel message to the end. Let me wrap this up with three points of application, and really they're my points. The first one, pray that we as your pastors would shamelessly suffer for the gospel. There is always a temptation to shrink back in saying hard truth and proclaiming the gospel with the clarity that it must be proclaimed with. Pray that we would embrace the, the suffering that comes with this gospel ministry and that we would do so joyfully. And I can praise the Lord and say that all of your pastors do so joyfully. The second thing, pray that we would always glory in Christ. It may not seem like a thing, but you can be busy doing gospel ministry and be failing to glory in Christ Jesus. And my prayer is that all you'd have to do is ask us a few things and we just glory in Christ Jesus because he is so on our minds and so on our hearts that we can't help but say anything but how amazing and glorious Christ is doing. I don't know about you, brother pastors. If you don't need that, you can just pray that for me. I need all of that. So pray that for me. But I, I guess I, my guess is that we all desperately need our eyes more deeply fixed upon Christ. Lastly, pray that whatever may come, we would be examples to this body and that we would persevere to the end. Paul is constantly calling the people of God to look to the shepherds, not because they're perfect, but because if you're going to be a leader, people must look to their leaders. And so may God help us to be humble, godly, Christ-fearing men who shamelessly suffer for the gospel to go forth, that you may be built up, and that Christ's kingdom may advance in this city. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I thank you that you have chosen us, not because of our works, because of your own purposes and grace in Christ Jesus. And I pray that this would be a body of people who pray for their leaders. As it's often been said, they would pray us full, that, that we would preach them full. And may your body thrive um, because of your work, your spirit's work among us. In Jesus' name, amen.